Welcome to Beyond the Call, brought to you by Start Church. We hope you enjoyed the upcoming podcast and hope this time is empowering, inspiring, and helpful as you pursue the dream God has put in your heart. The participants of this podcast are not attorneys, and this recording is not to be considered legal advice. Please contact your local attorney's office where needed. Enjoy today's podcast. Well, I am obviously really grateful. Uh, I've got one of my favorite guests. Les has been with us before, and uh, let me just read some of his bio here. For those of you that don't know him, uh, Les is is the president and CEO of Predictable Success. He has 25 years of global business experiences. He started 42 companies. If you're a church planner listening to this, that should really perk you up. This guy knows. Starting, uh, this is a name of Ireland, and actually has clients including Harvard and the Army and Microsoft. He's really an international speaker and some of the best books around that I think people need to read. Everybody, welcome Les to the podcast. Les, thanks so much for being with us. It's super to be here again with you, Nathan. Hi, everybody. Uh, and for those of you that are, are new uh, to the podcast, Les McGowan is actually, he's the writer of Predictable Success, which I think is one of the must-reads for church planners. And I know you didn't specifically write it for church planners, Les, but the model that you have in that book is so critical to understanding um, the evolution of a church plan organization. Which, so I'm excited about getting into that in a few moments. But as we were just talking about before we uh, got started, the last time you were on this podcast, I guess was around January, the world has changed, right? Since we have, so today is uh, July 22nd, 2020. And uh, we've been dealing with all kinds of things. And I just want to start asking you some questions about leadership in a time of crisis. Um, as COVID-19 began to hit and began to unfold, a lot of leaders, business leaders, church leaders, they had all these new challenges come their way, right? I mean, all of a sudden, the world was changing. How did that initially hit you and your organizations? And how did you begin to triage when 10 fires come at you in a sense of crisis? How did you begin to work your way through those? Well, you know, one of the things I've been uh, really privileged uh, about, Nathan, is because of the nature of my work, I actually went through this real time with my suite of clients. Uh, Not all of them. I'll admit that from about March 13th, I think it was, when we really all accepted, okay, there's something huge happening here. Uh, Some of them just went dark for reasons that we'll probably talk about shortly. But... Uh, I stayed in really close contact with about 80% of my clients. And I've personally been in a very beneficial position through no foresight or planning, just the way things are. Um, I long ago took a a position for myself that I can either help other people grow their organizations, for-profits, not-for-profit, I work with all of them, Um, or I can grow my own, but I can't do both. As you said, I, I was a serial entrepreneur, I've done it many, many times, and I can do it. Uh, that's what I teach, but I can't do both at the same time. So uh, I, I had a dawning realization about that about four years ago when I'd got to, you know, there was about 12 or 13 people on my team, and we were about to hire another three or four, and we were going to open another office. And I realized that wasn't for me, and I let them all go, give everybody some time to go get relocated elsewhere. And I netted down just to me and Blue, who is my... Pitbull, who listeners, of course, can't see, but he's uh, 
He's my one assistant. He has no opposable thumbs, so he's no good at anything useful. Um, but what, the reason I'm sharing all of that is that uh, it, the the, uh, the crisis didn't have, a, a, thankfully, and I'm very grateful for it, really much of an effect on me, apart from the two to three weeks of absolute, you know, sort of, sure. uh, what the heck. Yeah. Um, but what it did do was it let me, uh, it gave me a, a, de a degree of objectivity, and I want to say detachment, but that sounds bloodless, and I don't mean it that way, that enabled me to work very closely with my clients uh, who are, you know, universally because they get to self-filter and self-select. Yeah. They're great people. And I reckon, here's the arc that I've seen, Nathan, for our listeners, if it's worth um, just sharing. Yeah. And what I saw was this, an initial period of pretty much panic. Uh, what the heck? How, yeah. what, what, do, what do I do? Where do I go? How does this play out? And um, there was a filtering process there. A lot of leaders let me be blunt, we're showing up to just not have it. You know, you can lead in good times. That doesn't always mean you can lead in tough times. Yeah, yeah. And so we saw some filtering in that regard. Just frankly, those businesses and organizations that didn't make it, many of them, it became very clear in the early stages. But for those who did, something happened uh, that was a real asset uh, that I'm going to share in a second and then became a liability and is currently a liability in the arc that we were in. And, and the thing that happened was that leaders had to come down from 30,000 feet. Yeah. That's where we operate. That's where our mind is. We like to be up there, vision to the future, seeing the big picture, and then leading people forward uh, it, it, with that big picture in mind. And leaders had to come right down to runway level and start triaging, start what I call the dirty fingernail work. And we were all living, as you recall, on uh, daily punch lists. What do we do today? What do we do today? What do we do today? Maybe thinking about what we're going to do tomorrow. And then it began to be, okay, I've got today and I've actually, I'm set up for tomorrow. What are we going to do next week? What are we going to do next week? Right. And the great leaders are good at that. They can get down there and do that. And where it became problematic was, and I'm generalizing huge, sure. uh, for most organizations, I think around about mid-May, we began to get to the point where there's not a chance that we're back at the 30,000 foot level and we're not going to be there for quite some time. Okay. But as leaders, we got up and are up, I, to, to use this uh, height metaphor, at sort of 5,000 feet, sort of like yeah. drone level rather than 747 level. Yeah, we, can't, yeah. we, can't, we can see a little bit into the future, uh, certainly more than March, but not much. And I have to tell you, that's where leaders are struggling because it's not something we've had to do before and it's not something we're good at is leading from 5,000 feet. Yeah. Leading from 5,000 feet is awkward. It's clunky. The toolkit that we had for th at 30,000 feet doesn't work. And the skill set we had for scrabbling in the dirt at, at runway level doesn't work. And I'll give you one yeah, I'd love to know example. That. And then uh, I realize I'm giving you a lengthy answer to this question. Here's the classic way in which that's playing out. It's this thing that you and I are on right now. The listeners can't tell because they're listeners, of course, but you and I are on Zoom. Right. I'm prepared to guess you've probably been on Zoom already once today, at least. Right. And right. we're all living on it or whatever the uh, right. video conferencing tool, of course. One of the things that we've discovered is it drags us down to the tactical. Yeah. Because that's what it's really good at. 
Yeah. And it, it, so many of us have got better at our meetings, better at our punch list, better at getting stuff done for the day. But this does not have the richness that we need to begin to lead again. Yeah. It's not a good leadership tool. It's a great management tool. And so the artwork, and to finish this off, where I see us in the arc at the moment is um, the, the leaders who are at the forward curve of leadership that I'm watching are beginning to get really engaged in the fact that this is likely to be a large part of the picture, not just moving forward, but forever. We're never going back to what it was before. We're going to be living in a blended world at best, virtual and uh, in-person. And we've got to somehow make this richer. So that's a very long answer to what was oh, a very great. straightforward question. We've seen that as well, you know, that Zoom fatigue. And we are tactically, I love what you said about drone level. That makes so much sense. I think what's happened is uh, we find ourselves in those day-to-day -day deals and then we're trying to lift up a little bit. Right. And we, we feel the frustration of not getting the meetings where we want them to go, right? They, they right. landed tactically. Um, recently, we've been able to do a social distancing tactical in person, but everybody, right. you know, half wore masks, we're six mm -hmm. feet apart. The meeting was brilliant. It, it, right. we're, oh, that, I remember that. We came up with a new product actually in the meeting, okay. which we certainly right. wouldn't have done. What, what are skills that we need to look at to see if we'll be good at the 5,000 foot view? What are, you, what are just a handful that you'd say, the guys I see doing well at the drone level have this? Well, the three things that I've seen, I can only share, I'm not going to pretend I've invented all this. I'm just going to share with you what I'm seeing. Um, and, and I need to unfortunately start with a negative. <clears throat> the thing that's preventing some people that I see from operating well at 5,000 feet is that they got so, I, I was going to say they got so good at runway level. It's actually slightly different from that. They rediscovered a sense of being needed in the moment that they're finding hard to let go right now. Um, some leaders just got such an, I mean, it was a horrible time and I'm quite sure nobody consciously would want to go back to that. I, I'm, I'm, I'm praying of everything crossed that we don't end up having to do the full sort of lockdown that we did before. Yeah. Um, but notwithstanding that, some folks got um, an endorphin rush out of yeah. blocking and tackling. And once more being the one who's, you know, really leading the operational charge and not just the leadership charge and they can't let it go. And so I, what I'm trying to help a lot with the folks that I'm coaching is to say it was absolutely categorically the right thing to take back some of the um, uh, tactical responsibilities that you did in March and April and early May but you've yeah. you, you got to start stopping, you know, you've got to, you, you cannot become a, a, a cap. You can't become a barrier uh, yeah. by holding on to all of that. So that would be number one is let go. You know, it's time to start letting go of the, of the yeah. runway right. level stuff. The second thing that I, that I think is most common that folks are uh, grappling with as leaders, and this is really difficult and it's, it's very easy for me to say in this sort of abstract into um, the, uh, you know, our recording and for the listeners to hear asynchronously without sitting with me and me having to look them in the eye. So it's an easy environment for me to say this. I appreciate that. But the second thing I see is um, being in denial that what just happened has shown up one or more of their leadership team as being utterly deficient for where we're headed. 
Yeah. And I don't mean that judgmentally. I don't mean that, that, that this is, sh when I said show, I shouldn't even have used the phrase showing up because that sounds a little judgmental. Maybe but what has happened is that we've just had, um, you know, uh, Lenin, uh, <laughs> maybe not, I don't mean John Lennon, I mean the Marxist Lenin. He, say, he once said that uh, sometimes decades go by and nothing happens. And sometimes a week goes by and decades happen. Yeah. And we've just been through four months in which decades of, a, of, of uh, organizational development have been accelerated. And we've been dragged to places that we um, were maybe going to go to anyway. You know, I was in the middle of putting everything that I do online and suddenly that got hugely accelerated. Yeah. That massive acceleration has, it's like the tide either coming in or going out, use whichever analogy you want. And it's left a couple of leaders stranded. In most organizations, there's somebody that everybody is now recognizing. He or she may have been the, you know, a high performing yeah. leader up to this point. And we're not, and I, I understand the second part of it, which is, how the heck do you have that conversation right now? Yeah, you can't. Sure. It's, it's culturally tough. It's personally tough. But it's coming, and it's coming quite soon. I, and I, if I had to be blunt, and you know, there are people who pay me to be blunt, and I've been blunt with them and said, for most organizations, there's a reckoning, I think, quarter three, quarter four of this year, where you're going to have to say, I need to retool my team. Yeah. So those would be the uh, first two things. And the uh, third thing is this. The, the really great leaders that I'm watching – um, recognize that pivoting, not only, pivoting is not only enough, but just if you've just, if all you've done is pivot, you're going to die. You're yeah. going to die. Your organization will die. And that seems a little, or certainly in, in, in March and April, may, may have seemed counterintuitive because, you know, you're a church and, and suddenly nobody can come to a building anymore. Of course, you're going to pivot to online, right? right. Um, if you're a restaurant and nobody can come sit in your restaurant anymore, of course, you're going to pivot to takeout and delivery. Yeah. What I'm saying is that if all you do is pivot, then you're just a sitting duck waiting for what has, happens next and you're gonna pivot again, and then yeah. you're gonna pivot again and you'll eventually, you'll die. And um, you know, there was a great uh, a hockey player, I realize, you know, that's a narrow niche, but there was a great, one of the greatest hockey, I think the greatest hockey player ever is a guy called Bobby Orr, Canadian ORR. And um, when he was asked the secret of his success, he said, I skate to where the puck is going to be. Yeah. And that's what we need to do. That's innovating. That's innovating. And the great leaders are currently innovating. They did their pivot, but that was a hygiene factor. We needed yeah. to pivot. Done. No pats in the back for pivoting. We've got to innovate. Yeah. And, um, you know, I was talking um, uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, to uh, Jason Mitchell, you know, who's a, a great, great uh, church leader. Uh, down in uh, Pennsylvania, and Jason was saying, you know, the biggest shift that we had, he, he's uh, one of the senior pastors in LCBC, and he said the, the greatest mind shift we had to make was away from, before coronavirus hit, we were a church who had, we were a church that had online services. Mm -hmm. uh, so we had a building, and we streamed what we did. So right. it's completely the other way around, now. Wow. and we're never going back. Yeah. We now deliver what we deliver. We deliver our mission virtually. And in future, if, if the circumstances allow it, you want to come and watch and be part of it in the building physically, fine, you're welcome to it. But that whole dynamic is completely wow. shifted. Is that the silver lining? Is the COVID silver lining for us, the innovation that's going to come out of that? 
Yeah, I get, I get uh, personally, um, I, I get a little nervous when I find myself, Nathan, occasionally saying things that I fully recognize because of many of the people I know is just so far away from uh, literally hundreds of thousands, worldwide millions of people's experiences that it sounds callous. And to even think to talk about a silver lining is in one sense, it's a, it's a bit obscene. Sure. Um, but the reality is that everything, if, if, if we didn't believe that, we wouldn't be doing what we're doing. Sure. Everything has got some positive aspects yeah. to it. And I, and I don't know that I know the positive things yet, but what I'd be prepared to put um, uh, my money on uh, is that uh, anything to do with virtual anything is being accelerated like crazy. And a whole bunch of good stuff will come out of that. I yeah. think... You know, when we think back in the, on the, uh, in the rear view mirror and get to try to be smart about Facebook, Twitter, all that sort of stuff, I fear there may be some negatives will come out of that as well, but there's certainly going to be a whole lot of good stuff. And the other thing that I think that has been really good is that for many organizations, business models, and I, I, I use that unapologetically in the church space, because whether you like it or not, you've got a business model. It may not be for-profit business, but business is just a word that says, here is what I do. Busyness. Here's yeah. what I do when I'm busy. Yeah. So we have business in the church, right? Um, it's, uh, you might be a little too young, and some of our listeners are almost certainly too young to remember this, but there was a great toy called an Etch-a-Sketch. And uh, an Etch-a-Sketch was just a little thing with two knobs, yeah. and you, would, you, would, you could draw lines, and if you were really good, you could draw curves. But you could take the Etch-a-Sketch and just shake it, yeah. And the, the picture would go away and you'd do it again. And some business models, it's just like uh, somebody picked up with etch a sketch and shook it. And that was a horrible thing to go through. But in many cases, it needed to happen. And sure. I think there are going to be a lot of good things that will come out of it. Some horrible things. I, I, if I had my druthers, I'd rather we hadn't gone through all of this. But mm -hmm. yes, yeah. I think that's one of the things that will come out of it. And I think upskilling and leadership is one of the things that I'm seeing happen. Are people in your community dealing with loss of jobs, financial troubles, or even lack of food? With the current events we are facing in our country, you may find an increase in benevolence requests at your church. You may even find yourself buried in requests and not even sure where to begin. Because of this, we created the Call to Care Suite for ministry leaders and pastors to have a resource as they create and establish their benevolence program. In Call to Care, you will learn how to qualify the need, establish a benevolence program, engage in counseling through benevolence, and so much more. Purchase Call to Care today so you can establish your benevolence program and love and equip those in need. Let's talk about the uh, predictable success model. How does that work? How are you seeing, because you've got you know, clients and they're really in the thick of it. So you're getting real genuine case studies. How are you seeing the predictable success model being lived out in unpredictable times? Well, one of the things that um, I, I have to say, <laughs> not sure whether uh, I'm fortunate about this or, or hugely unfortunate, but because I've lived and worked for the first uh, 35 years of my life in almost 40 years of my life in the, in the UK, uh, in the United Kingdom before moving here 21 years ago. 
Uh, yes, I, I'm very old. I was born before the Civil War. Um, I have, through a quirk of uh, chronology, lived through seven recessions. And this is of a category different, but the yeah. underlying thing, it's still in that category. It's still that it, 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 economically, that's, it's still one of those things. And the model, um, because I didn't invent predictable success, because it's what I've seen, it's yeah. because it's what happens, and I just put vocabulary to it, the model holds out, and it, work, it's, it works very straightforwardly, and um, I'll share it with you. Now, the listeners will need to uh, exercise their visual um, yeah. imagination here, but for those of, uh, of you folks that are listening who are aware of the predictable success model, it, it's, it's essentially an arc um, of growth and decline. So you have three growth stages, early struggle, fun, whitewater. You hit the peak stage, which I call predictable success. And then there are three decline stages, treadmill, the big rut, and death rattle. And I'm not going to get into the differences from all of those. But essentially what happens in times of economic crisis is it's like a headwind coming right down on the top of that upturned arc. Yeah. So if you imagine this headwind coming down and blowing at every single organization, what happens is wherever you were, when the headwind hit, you get pushed down that side of the, of the arc. So if you were, in my terminology, in whitewater, which is the growth stage just before predictable success. So looking at the upturned arc, you're on the northwest. You know, you're at 11 o'clock on the clock. Right. When the economic, when, when this hit, you got pushed down, you get pushed back towards fun, towards early struggle. So your business, which you, or your church, which you just grown, maybe you had just, you know, yeah. you just broken a hundred or broken 150, tantalizingly see Kerry Newhouse, two, Magic 200. Yeah. Um, you got pushed way back down. And, you know, maybe you just made your first full-time non-pastoral appointment. Maybe you just, you know, got a good accounting service. Well, those have been gone. You, you know, you can't do those. You can't go any further forward with them. You, you had to retreat. Right. And on the other side, if you were in the, the early decline stage, so sort of like two o'clock on the clock on the Northeast, and you were just getting arthritic, a bit bureaucratic, you were sort of getting sort of rinse and repeat and yeah, you know, just lost your vim. This headway hits, you got pushed further down. Unless you did something dramatic, yeah. you're now sitting around looking like a dinosaur. It's yeah. just, you know, it's, it's, it's starting to get close to crickets because all of this is passing you by. You know, if you didn't do the pivot, if you didn't innovate, if you, you know, just shut your doors and hope this would blow over. When you open up, ain't nobody coming back. And yeah. I, I'm exaggerating hugely, right? But a good example in the Northern church world, because it's easy to imagine is, there, there, it was a barber's uh, a, a men's hairdressing store. It's, it's, it's a, just a proxy for literally hundreds of thousands of examples of this. Two blocks from me where I lived in D.C. And it was three real old guys. They must have been in their 80s, been doing it forever. Yeah. And they serviced about 20 to 25, just slightly younger guys like me. We were just keeping them afloat. They closed their doors on March 14th and they will never reopen again. Right. They just that this thing just blew them to death rattle. So it's over. Um, so that's what's happened. And the net result, the takeaway in this most simplistic of terms is if you, and, and if, if folks, you know, if this is echoing and they want, and listeners, if you'd like to just test this out for yourself, 
You can go to lifecyclequiz.com, all one word, lifecyclequiz.com. Totally free, uh, no bait and switch. It's just a straightforward self-assessment. And you can work out where your church was before this hit. Now, if you were on the growth side, like I say, you're being pushed back down to where you were a year, two years ago. Right. And what you need to do is bend and go with that. You, you need to let it happen. Just, just relax. You're being pushed back to somewhere you were before, so it's not going to be a surprise. Yes, you're going to lose some growth ground, but you'll come out healthy. You'll come out okay. Smaller, but okay. On the other hand, if you're bureaucratic, if you were, you know, getting a bit creaky and arthritic and lost your vim and zoom and you were on the right-hand side, the decline side, you have to fight this like crazy. You have to do all you can because it's trying to kill you. The headwind is trying to push you into death rattle. That's the final stage and it's self, you know, the, the, the words will tell you. So you've yeah. got to fight it. And that means innovating. It means not just pivoting, it means it, pivoting will only buy you time. It means innovate. So you've got to innovate. Can can an organization infuse innovation externally? You have somebody on that it, side? It, it can temporarily. You yep. can go, and so what I'm, I'm seeing a lot in not for, in for profit, I'm not seeing as much in cause and faith. I, I work a lot with uh, cause based charitable organizations as well as faith based churches, et cetera. And I'm not seeing this so much, a little bit, but not so much. But in the uh, for-profit world, intuitively, a, a number of the more lumbering, bureaucratic, you know, less nimble uh, businesses yeah. have begun to reach out. And, and it's a good time to do it. This is going to sound really mercenary, what I'm about to say. Uh, it just happens to be the way things work. Um, they're reaching out and acquiring younger, more versatile organizations be, they're doing it because they they know intuitively they need the injection of new yeah. eyes and fresh perception. And the market's giving them an opportunity because there are a lot of those organizations, the younger ones who are ready to be acquired because, you know, this has put them out of funds. You know, they're wondering where do we get resource to continue to develop. And so that's happening quite a lot. And you can do that. And the church can do that. You know, you can pair up with, you know, if there was that house church that, you know, just arrived recently, you thought it was a competitor, maybe it's a good time to talk to the pastor there because they've got that vibrancy of mindset. Um, you know, maybe finding some people who had been a bit of a, uh, one of the things that happens when we're in the decline stage of, of uh, the life cycle, whether it's for profit or not for profit, is senior leadership begins to uh, push out any challenge function. It starts to get, make it culturally uncomfortable for people to put their hand up and say, should we rethink this? And it's all about rinse and repeat. And yeah. so listening, I've said to people, you know, start listening to the people who were your, a pain in your neck last year. They're the people you need to talk to. The ones who kept saying, wait, what? Yeah. Why are we doing that? But the, in, the external injection can be done, Nathan, but it's temporary. You've got to build the muscle of innovation in, internally eventually, very quickly, actually. You've got to take what those people bring and not just say, okay, let's apply it like a, 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 a coat of new, a new coat of paint. That yeah. won't do it. We've got, you got to say, okay, teach me how to make that kind of paint because we're yeah. going to have to do this forever. What, what are the questions we should be asking as leaders right now as we're assessing where we are? Uh, you know, sometimes it feels so disorienting, right? You, like you said, you thought it was one way and wow, all of a sudden the whole world has changed. What are some questions you would suggest your business leaders and leaders in general be asking about their organizations? Number one is what do my people need to hear from me? Um, 
I, I almost go as far as to say it's number one, two, and three. And then number four is what are in the church, what are the people uh, needing to hear from me? So I'm, I'm differentiating between the full-time and part-time volunteers who work on and in the church right. and the congregation or the membership. But the number one thing you've got to be thinking is what are my people, you know, the people who are working in the church, what do they need to hear from me? And one of the things that um, fighting against, I was going to say one of the things you've got to fight against, and that's too strong a phrase, but one of the things you've got to be aware of is most successful leaders, leaders have got what I call a visionary DNA. So there are four types of leaders, visionaries, operators, processors, synergists. We needn't go into all of those today. But most successful leaders, certainly in young and growing organizations, and it implies in the church just 100%, um, they're what I call visionaries. Uh, and people with, you know, they've got a vision and they've got the big picture and they think at the 30,000 feet level and they take risks. And uh, one of the inherent traits of a visionary is that they talk to think. So they'll, they'll talk and explore in, in an exploratory way. They'll go so far as to say things that are 180 degrees uh, different from what they might actually think is right in order to get some discussion going, in order to, they love to test an idea or a notion. And they can easily hold two completely contradictory possible things they might do in a, a specific right. situation and not make the final decision to the last moment. And so for other, in normal times, other leaders and other people in the organization see that it takes them a little while to work out, this person isn't argumentative. I thought they just liked arguing. That's not it. They use talking as their way to carve their thoughts. Now, yep. that's a complete and utter shambles in the making at a time like this. Right. Folks don't need to see the sausage in your head being made right now. And so yeah. commun communicating has to be open and transparent and frequent. And, you know, one of my coaching points that's just been sort of relentless over the last 16 weeks is no news is news right now. You need to be going back to your folks consistently. And even if on nine out of the 10 points, you're yeah. saying, you know what this thing we talked about last week, nothing has happened about it. Nothing has happened. And I'll tell you when something does happen rather than allow a vacuum to occur at the moment, because people yeah. will fill it full of stuff and it will be wrong and incorrect. So, uh, what do your people need to hear from you and communicate consistently and frequently and, and don't think aloud right now. Now is not the time to be standing up and pontificating, uh, you know, be clear about what you've got. The second thing I would say is certainty is your enemy at this point. Uh, if there are things that you are absolutely certain about, then that's okay. But visionary leaders have a tendency to be a little hyperbolic and in, in saying every, everything that they say, there's an air of certainty about it. And there needs to be an openness and transparency. If you want, it can also be vulnerability. It doesn't have to be. But you certainly need to be transparent and say, on this, I don't know. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I, I'll give you a for-profit example that the church has been for various reasons, some good, some okay. A, a little more exempt from is that um, downsizing, literally letting people go, yeah. uh, has been a huge thing for most for-profits. And uh, again, one of the things that I counsel the leaders I work with is 
this is not a time, if you don't know this to be true, this is not a time to be saying, okay, this is it and there'll be no more. Because you've only got to break that once and you might have to do it next week and your right. credibility is shot. Now, if you absolutely know, if you do know, if you are certain, that's okay. But if you're not certain, don't say you're certain. I think that's really important. Yeah. Do you, how do you think, uh, a couple minutes here, how should leaders define success right now, right? January, 2020, you know how many visions were counted. It's the year of 2020. It's the year of clarity. And there were metrics and KPIs and all of that. And then it exploded, right? How do you, in a, in a time of disorientation, a time of crisis, how do I define success? Should I be doing that differently than in normal times? Uh, yeah, it's a great uh, question, Nathan. I, I, and it's going to have a very, uh, let me back up and, and para, uh, contextualize what I'm about to say for you. As you'll have gathered with a lot of the answers that I've just given, there's a whole bunch of stuff that I think uh, I'm privileged enough, just not because I'm a genius, but because of the work that I get to do, that I've seen clearly in terms of patterns that I can recognize and I can hand them over to people and say, this is happening and this is a pattern and, and you can take this to the bank and go, go work with it. In terms of uh, defining success for an organization, uh, whether it's a church or a, a for-profit, there's so much that's variable within each specific organization that to the degree of um, global, totally applicable uh, answers to that is much smaller. But I will say this, in the majority of cases, to be dead straight about it, it's getting out the other side. You know, I would say 60% probably yeah. of the leaders that I'm working with, this is about getting, just buying time till we get to the point where enough variables have stopped moving yeah. that we can start to build for the medium term. I don't think that for 60% of, a phrase I've been using a lot with the 60% is, this is not a time to, for strategic plans. You can't make a strategic plan right now because there are too many variables in play. Yeah. The best you can do are put together a series of scenarios. This might happen under this situation. This might happen. Under another. Yeah. And all of those should be geared towards survival. Just yeah. get out to the other side. I've, I've had the image in my head a lot of just trying to get through. I've never had to do this and I don't want to have to do it, but I'm just trying to get through a desert. You know, you find yourself to want, you know, get from one oasis to another yeah. and just stay alive until you see a patch of green in the distance and then you know it's going to be okay. So for 60% of organizations, um, it's that. I'll be really, really uh, blunt with you. Of the other 40%, 20% of them are just, you know, going gangbusters. I, I have had more people in the last four months talk to me uh, one guy, I'm not going to, actually, you can find it if you look and listen hard enough to interviews and stuff on my own website. But, the, you know, one guy said to me, I'm embarrassed, Les, to talk about how well things are going. Like, really? I'm sort of embarrassed. And for 20% of the leaders that I'm working with, success at the moment is uh, corralling the stuff that's coming in, under, you know, the growth that they've got, and understanding what's temporary, because a lot of them the ones that are doing really well, it's, a, it's because of the, a sort of, uh, you know, every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. It's a reaction uh, to what's going on. So, for example, if you're manufacturing PPE, you know, personal yeah. equipment, you're probably doing okay right now. Yeah. So, you know, just managing that success. 
Uh, and there's another 20% for whom it's about how do, how do we exit, morph, change, because yeah. we're not going to get out the other side. So, uh, you know, I'd ask our listeners to think which of those three buckets then are, is, are things going remarkably well, in which case just the only thing you need to do is distinguish between what might go back out with the tide and what can you build on for the future. Are you in the 60% in which case lower your own expectations? Don't be hard on yourself. Don't beat up on yourself. You and your leadership team just need to get your church out the other side of this. Yeah. Uh, and you know, who knows what the heck that is. Uh, you know, I, I would take a shot, but I'd be as likely to be as wrong as anybody putting a time frame on that. And the other 20%, um, I'd say if, if you're in any sort of denial, this is a good time to think about whether you need to do some sort of a, you know, a planned exit because it's not going to work out for you or find a way to morph into something else. Last question. I'd love to know there's people that are listening to this and um, trying to peek ahead. What do you hope is the messaging uh, that they have from the local church and from faith-based organizations right now as they're sort of speaking into the world at large? What do you hope the message is? I'd have to go to something that um, uh, I, I, I'll say, no, I, I don't want to get into with people individually. Um, but what I'd want to see a lot more of uh, from the church and any place that's trying to help build community is that uh, we are somewhere where you are accepted no matter what your beliefs are about how we're dealing with all of this. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I don't want to, there's no point being coy. This mask versus no mask nonsense, this um, fake versus true nonsense, this politicians versus scientists nonsense. Yeah. I may have my views about which side of that, that I think is nonsense and which side I think is okay. Right. Um, but I think we've got to be building an environment where people can cannot feel rejected because of that. Yeah. Uh, both ways. Uh, yeah. So that, that would be my, where my heart is at the moment. That's so good. Les, I always appreciate you being on the podcast. You give us such good strategy and insight and lens. Where can people find out more about uh, your work? Just go to predictablesuccess.com. It's all out there. Thanks again for being on the podcast, Les. Have a good my day. My pleasure, Nathan. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Call, brought to you by Start Church. If you have any questions about what you've heard today, please give us a call at 844-641-5718 or visit our website at startchurch.com. We hope you'll join us for the next episode of Start Church Beyond the Call. Start Church has helped thousands of churches and ministries protect what God has given them to lead. Check out our website at startchurch.com or feel free to call at 844-641-5718. We would be honored to serve you.